Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. One simply cannot deny the presence of evil in the world. With evil regimes, violence, torture, murder, institutional racism, physical and sexual abuse of children. One simply cannot deny the presence of evil within our world. Yet where does this evil originate from? James, in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 13 states, When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the source of evil is not God. Verse 14 continues. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires... He is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. In other words, evil originates with people. But the Bible also says that evil ultimately originates with evil spiritual powers. And these evil spiritual powers are referred to by many different names within the Bible. In the Old Testament, they are uh, is referred to as Satan. In the New Testament, is referred to as the devil and the demons. And they also go by many other descriptions. The evil one, the tempter, unclean spirits, and so on. And Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 6, warns his readers to be aware of the devil's schemes. And then he says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, ultimately, we do not struggle against other people, but against evil spiritual powers. And these evil spiritual powers are cunning. The devil's schemes, verse 10. And they're powerful, rulers, authorities, powers, verse 12. And they're evil, spiritual forces of evil, verse 12. Now this doesn't mean that we need to become obsessed with the demonic. C.S. Lewis warns of two equal but opposite errors. The one is to say that there is no demonic. 
And the other is to have an excessive and an unhealthy interest in the demonic. Both are equally detrimental. What we need is a good biblical balance. The Bible does not deny the existence of the demonic, but it never focuses its attention on them. It's never the focus. It's never the main point. And in fact, it rarely ever mentions that. So we need to have that biblical balance. Nevertheless, Genesis chapter 3 illustrates in a wonderful way how these evil spiritual powers try to influence us and tempt us to do evil. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 states, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of their wild animals the Lord God had made. And quite clearly within the story, the serpent is that symbol of evil spiritual powers. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Firstly, the serpent sows doubt. Did God really say? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Then verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, is that true? Is the serpent's claim true? Well, yes. And no. It's a half-truth. But you see, when they do eat of the fruit, their eyes are opened and they do become like God, knowing good and evil. Right at the end of the story, in verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, Man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So it is true, but it's a half-truth. It's not the whole truth, for they will die. You see, the consequence of them disobeying God is that God will banish them from the Garden of Eden, and then they will no longer have access to the tree of the fruit that will give them life, and therefore they will die. And that's what is at the end of verse 22, what it goes on to say. It says, uh, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You see, The serpent doesn't just say a blatant lie. 
That's very easy to identify. He's far more cunning. He tells a half-truth, which is a lie, but it's far more deceptive. And his basic lie is this. If you disobey God, it won't bring any harm. In fact, the only reason why God doesn't want you to do certain things is because he doesn't want you to have any fun. He's a killjoy, a spoiled sport who doesn't want you to have a good time. And the enemy's tactics haven't changed. Did God really say you shouldn't commit adultery? Surely no one's going to get hurt. Surely no one will even know. Doubt, half-truths, lies. Verse 6 we read, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They fell for the deception. They fell for the lie. They fell for the temptation. And they disobeyed God. The consequence is what we will read next. The cover-up operation. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They realized they were naked. The feeling of guilt and shame. No one wants their sins exposed to everyone. We would hate anyone to know of all our sins. And so they immediately want to cover up. And they do that by making clothes to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. They hide behind the trees to hide away from God. Guilt and shame. Sin will always separate you from God. But sin also creates a hostility between people. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And the poor serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. This is the cunning strategy of the enemy. Deception. A lie that we would believe that God doesn't want what is best for us. A lie that would make us think 
that in order to have the best in life, we need to disobey God. And that if we don't disobey God, we're actually missing out. But the complete opposite is actually the truth. When we disobey God, we miss out on all that God has intended for us. Sure, sin is fun initially, but it never lasts for long. It always leads to guilt, shame. It leads to broken relationships. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. So how do we overcome evil in our lives? Well, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 6. And he shows them and encourages them how to stand firm against evil. He writes in verse 10, Finally, Be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and in His mighty power. The first way we overcome evil is by not trusting in our own strength, but by trusting in God's strength. Be strong, be strengthened in the Lord. Verse 11 goes on, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again in verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. So we need to be dressed in the very armor that God wears, which is, as we read in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. The first two items are ethical items. Truth and righteousness. The way we overcome evil is by living a life of integrity. Truthfulness. And righteousness. Being clothed with the very character of Jesus. Next we read in verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish the uh, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The next three are interconnected. And the way we stand up against the evil one's arrows, those fiery arrows of doubt, of half-truths, of lies, of condemnation, is by holding up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's important to remember that the the devil's main tactic is lies. 
That's why Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father of all lies in John chapter 8 and verse 44. How do you overcome a lie? By knowing the truth. If you know the truth, a lie is completely ineffective. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 32, then you shall know the truth, that's his teaching, and the truth will set you free. A lie becomes completely powerless if you know the truth. So when that fiery arrow of doubt comes along, you can defend yourself with a shield of faith. When the serpent says, did God really say, faith responds, yes, he did. It's an absolute confidence in the word of God. And when those fiery arrows of half-truths and lies come along, you can defend yourself with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, the truth. So when the serpent says, did God really say, surely you won't die? Surely no one will get harmed? Surely no one will even know? Surely you will really enjoy it? You can respond with the truth. No, people will find out about it. People will get harmed. It will lead to guilt and shame. It will lead to broken relationships. And ultimately, it will lead to destruction. When you got the truth, lies become completely ineffective. Now, it's important to note that all of us will fall into sin at some point. No one is perfect. And at that point, the serpent will come and bring condemnation. The serpent will say, you're such a failure. You call yourself a Christian? If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. And that's when we need that helmet of salvation. That assurance that we are saved. That assurance that because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sins, all our sins have been forgiven. That God accepts us and loves us. We also need to realize where the condemnation comes from. It comes from the serpent. It doesn't come from God. And at that point, what we need to do when we fall into sin is to get back up again. To confess our sins to God and to try again. And it's through a process of every time that we fall, that we get back up, we confess our sins and we try again, and we fall and we get back up and we confess our sins and we try again. And through this process, slowly we will gain victory over evil. 
there are three tenses to salvation. There's the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. The past tense is we have been saved from the penalty of sin. The present tense is we are presently being saved from the power of sin. And then there's a future uh, tense, which is we will be saved from the presence of sin. You see, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, immediately your sin is forgiven. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, there is no ultimate consequence to your sin anymore. You may still have certain consequences to your actions here and now, but the eternal consequence of your sin has been dealt with by Jesus. The penalty has been paid. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's why there's no condemnation from God. But we still struggle with the power of sin in our lives. We still struggle with sin now because God is still in the process of saving us from the power of sin. But we know that one day Jesus will return and He's going to restore the whole cosmos. And then we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Sin and evil simply will not exist anymore. Lastly, Paul encourages us to pray. Verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. If we want to overcome evil in our lives, We need to firstly trust in the power of God. Not We can't do it on our own strength. We need to trust in the strength of the Lord. Secondly, we need to live a life of integrity. The real characteristics of Jesus. So that the devil will not get a foothold in our life. Thirdly, we need to know the truth so that we can combat the devil's lies. Because if you know the truth, a lie is completely ineffective. Fourthly, when we do fall into sin, we need to ignore the the serpent's condemnation. But get back up Confess our sins to God and try again. And lastly, we need to pray. We need to pray for God's help. We need to pray that that we will not be led into temptation, but that we would be delivered from evil. And we need to pray for each other. Then, we will slowly start to experience victory over evil in our life. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus is Lord of all. Father, we want to thank you that Jesus has defeated every single evil spiritual power. That all powers, all authorities, all rulers have been placed beneath his feet. And that we are on the victory side. Yet, Father, we still confess that we struggle with sin and evil in our lives. Won't you empower us by your Holy Spirit? Because we can't do it in our own strength. Won't you give us that that shield of faith, that helmet of salvation, and that sword of the Spirit, so that we can stand firm against the devil's schemes, that we can stand firm when the day of evil comes. And Father, we pray that you would stir a spirit of prayer amongst us, that we would be praying for each other, praying for ourselves. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that we would experience that victory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.